The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to SWOutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. Morning, everybody. Y'all doing good? Hey, it feels like fall outside. It's awesome. It's been like, uh, like 85 degrees up here up until like today. So good job. You guys brought in a fall. All we need to do is have a fall retreat and then fall starts. It's great. I love, I love this time of year. It's so, it's so fun. It's deer hunting, football, leaves changing, festival. I love it. So I'm going to go today. And so I've got, I got three kids. I got a, a high schooler. Uh, I got a girl in 10th grade. I've got a girl in eighth grade and I've got a son in seventh grade and he's 12. And so I'm going to go watch him play football today. And it's going to be so fun because it's like at 12 years old, it's half football, half comedy still. So I don't know, like you guys are, you guys are a little older than that. Uh, most of y'all, some of you, some of you guys are not, but like, it, it's still like every once in a while, there's a pretty good football play and you're like, oh, oh, that was good. But then it's like half of the hikes, you know, when the, the center hikes the ball, the quarterback, half of them are going to the moon, just like, and they go over the quarterback set. It's just so fun, you know, uh, unless the only part that's not fun about kids sports is the parents. I, like some of you, I don't know if you got like brothers and sisters that are involved in kids sports, but the kids sports is great. Enjoy the comedy. Enjoy the good plays when they happen. But the parents, man, parents lose their minds because they think. This, this is my ticket. My kid is going to the league, you know, whatever it is. I tell you the worst, f- football is bad, but like the, the worst I've seen around here is basketball. Because, I don't know if it's because all the fans are like closer to the court so you can hear them more or whatever. But like I know I helped like assistant coach my daughter's basketball thing when she was eight. All right, so eight-year-old girls basketball, y'all know what that's like, right? It's like, bleep, travel, bleep. Travel, what? You traveled, you know, the whole game. And it's just like hilarious. And so, but the parents are losing their minds because I don't know if they think this is it. My girl's going into the WNBA. I can tell like at eight years old, I can tell she's going, she's, she's there. Maybe she's going straight. She's bypassing the WNBA. She's going to the NBA. Kevin Durant and her are going to be on the same team. Like, it's just like, what are y'all thinking? So these parents are, ah! They're just losing their minds. And so we literally had the police called out to two eight-year-old girl basketball games. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Because, I mean, I'm on the bench with these eight-year-old girls who half of them are picking their nose or whatever, you know, just like just enjoying the day. And their parents are like, like trying to get at each other. And the police are in there. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Kid sports, great parents. So it got me on this rabbit trail. I don't know if y'all have watched some of these shows like uh, uh, like some of these pageant moms, dance moms type shows. Okay. Dance moms, my, my, you know, it's not about the kids. It's about the parents and their ridiculousness, right? So I got into this like little league parents show and it was about a little league uh, football team. And it was Shocking. It was disturbing, really, because it follows a nine-year-old boys football team, right? And they're doing what nine-year-old football teams do, you know? And But the parents, it shows like inside their house and stuff, and they're waking up. So it follows this one nine-year-old who's a good nine-year-old football player, and they follow him through, and they're like, 
Yeah, we wake him up at 5 a.m. every morning, and we, you know, we, he's got a rise and grind. You know, we got him on this plyo workout, and, you know, he's eating only this. And I'm like, oh, did he? He went to bed last night. He's nine. You know, like, don't get him up to rise and grind at five. But, I mean, like, it's like, no, nah, he, can't, he can't have any nights out with his friends because, you know, we, we, you know, football comes first. And they're talking about when he gets to the league as if it's a certainty. When he gets to the league, da-da-da-da-da. And you're just like, oh, what are you doing to this kid? And the show turns, like, sad because you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, kids should be eating popsicles and running around in the woods not rise and grind at 5 a.m., you know what I'm saying? And so, like, the, it, it gets really – and, you know, when you see the parents, you expect – if this kid's actually going to the NFL, you know, NFL players, they're barely human. They're, they're – first off, they're enormous. And second, they're just such freakish athletes. They, like, resemble humans but barely. You know, and so you, you expect when it pans over to his parents that it's like Thor and one of the ladies from Wakanda, you know, it's like, oh – Okay, probably, you know, but it, it pans over and you got this like couple that's like five foot one, you know, built like, not like Thor, you know, just like, ooh, you know, your kid's going to be an awesome insurance salesman. They're going to do, they're going to do so good in business, I'm sure. But here's, here's what I always think. I always think, all right, if you had a crystal ball and you could show it to these parents like 10 years into the future and be like, hey man. Your kid's not going to the league. You'd ask them, like, is what you're doing to their childhood worth it right now? Like, all this 5 a.m. stuff, like, is it worth it? Would you live the same now if you knew what was going to happen in the future, if you knew that they weren't going to make it? You know what I'm saying? Okay. I'm telling that to kind of set up where we're going with 1 Corinthians 15. So if y'all turn there, basically the question that Paul's asking in 1 Corinthians 15 is kind of the same question I'm asking with the kids' sports thing. If you had a crystal ball and you could look into the future and say, is it worth living like this right now? See, basically a lot of non-believers, whether it's in your school or wherever, they're saying the same thing about Christianity that I'm saying about this, this kid's sport phenomenon, which is they don't believe Christianity's true, and they'll say, Yo, why would you base your life on this? Is it going to be worth it, like, going to church this much? It's not true. Why, how, how are you going to wake up early and read your Bible? Why are you not going to, I mean, how are you going to be sexually pure until you get married? Aren't you just depriving yourself? Like, is it worth it? One day you're going to wake up and be like, oh, shoot, is it, is it worth it living a Christian life? That's exactly what Paul's going to address. And I love that he's a realist because he's going to address, is it worth reading the Bible? Is it worth going to church? Is it worth being sexually pure? And even more, you know, thinking, is it worth being made fun of at school? Is it worth being a missionary? Is it worth being killed for the gospel? Because Paul is the guy. When he's talking about this, he is fully bought in. Y'all know Paul? So Paul is like, he gives kind of a, uh, his, not resume, kind of like a, an autobiography in 2 Corinthians. And he says, I've been in jail a lot for the gospel. I've been beaten countless times. I've been left for dead more than once. That's crazy. Left for dead more than once. Uh, I've been Five times I've been beaten with whips. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I've been stoned. Three times I've been shipwrecked. I've been left overnight in the ocean. And he's like, I'm in danger from rivers, from people, from hardships. And he just keeps on going on and on. Like he's without food. He's in cold. He's exposed. He's gave up a great career. And you think, 
okay, if anybody's had to answer the question, is it worth it? This is the guy I want to answer it. He's given up so much. So that's what we're going to look in. And and let me give you a, a spoiler alert. Is living the Christian life worth it? Here's Paul's answer. It depends. And you're like, oh, shoot. It depends on what? Because you expect him to just say, yep. But he says, it depends on the resurrection. If that didn't happen, nope. It is not worth it. If it did happen, it should reorder your whole life. So uh, let's dive in. First Corinthians 15, we're going to verse 12. If you've got a Bible, if you don't, we'll have it on the screen. But just to set this up, he's talking to some people who say, hey, there's no resurrection for anybody at any time. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 time out. Because if you're saying there's no resurrection, you're saying Jesus didn't raise from the dead. And so he's going to answer the question of basically, what if Jesus didn't raise from the dead? You ever thought about that? What if Jesus preached a bunch of great sermons and did a bunch of great miracles and died for our sins and stayed dead? Would that change anything? And Paul's like, Oh, heck yeah, that changed a lot. So I'm going to read the passage and then we'll kind of walk through it. First Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12, all right? <clears throat> now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection from the dead? If there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, here he goes, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be lying about God because we said about God that he raised Christ, who he didn't raise if it's true that the dead aren't raised. If the dead aren't raised, Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then everyone also who has fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So here's what I want to look at. Paul gives five big consequences. If Jesus lived, preached sermons, did miracles, and never raised from the dead, he's being realistic, right? Is living a Christian life worth it? Is being sexually pure, waking up early to read your Bible, is it worth it? And Paul's saying, it depends on if he raised from the dead. And he does this by giving five big consequences. What if Jesus never raised from the dead? All right, y'all follow? All right, let's jump in. Number one, the first big consequence if Jesus didn't raise from the dead is... If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, all preaching is empty. What I'm doing right now, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead 2,000 years ago, what I'm doing right now is a huge waste of a Saturday morning for me. Preaching, you going to church, waste of time. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, look at verse 14 and 15. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be lying about God. Because we said about God that he raised Jesus, who he didn't raise if it's true the dead aren't raised. He's saying, our preaching, what I'm doing right now is stupid if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. And the guy that preached to me and the guy that preached to him and the guy that preached to him go all the way back to the first guys, the disciples. And he said, and those guys started out lying about Jesus. So the whole thing is useless if he didn't raise from the dead. That's a huge consequence. Here's the second one. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, your faith is worthless. Look at verse 16. If the dead aren't raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile or empty or worthless. What it's saying is, you believing in Jesus is garbage if he didn't raise from the dead. Like when you lay in your bed and pray at night, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, that's not doing anything. 
You waking up early to read your Bible? That was a waste of time if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. What you're doing right now, your Saturday morning and my Saturday morning right now, we should be doing anything else if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. It's that important. Here's the third consequence. And this one's scary. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, like if he died on the cross and stayed dead, the third consequence, look at verse 17. You are still in your sins. Whoa. That means sin beat Jesus. You know who else is going to beat? Me and you. That's scary. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, sin wins. And it's going to win over you too. And that means the fourth consequence, that those dead Christians are in hell. Like everybody who died putting their hope in Jesus, if he just died and didn't raise from the dead, they're in hell. Look at what it says in verse 19. I'm sorry, in verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That's a euphemism. Y'all know what a euphemism is? It's a way to make a hard thing sound lighter. You know, like to make a, uh, it's a nice way of saying something. He said, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. He means those dead Christians are in hell or in nothingness. That means Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in hell. Paul, now in hell. That means Billy Graham, my believing grandparents, all of these folks closed their eyes thinking, I'm going to see Jesus and woke up in hell or in nothingness if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. And that's wild because Acts tells us there's no other name given among men by which we can be saved. That means nobody else is coming. It's over. So the result Paul gives us, the fifth consequence, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, Christians are the most pitiful group of people in history. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied, most to be made fun of, most to be felt sorry for. You know, I I remember one of my pastors growing up that he said, hey, you know what? If I die and I find out that all of this wasn't true, it's okay because I still live the best way to live. I don't, I don't regret anything because I still lived a moral life. At least I lived for a noble cause. Paul's like, you're stupid. If all this is fake and you dedicate your life to it, people should make fun of you. You know what I'm saying? If Christianity, if we're just self-medicating to make it through life, with, oh, I'm going to feel better about this if I just read the Bible, read some verses. Paul's like, y'all, that's stupid. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, people should make fun of us. That's big. That's how Paul answers the, the, the question, is living the Christian life worth it? He says, not if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, because that means that you also are not going to raise. If Jesus didn't raise, you're not going to raise. No, heck no, it's not worth it if Christ didn't raise. In fact, he goes on later on to tell us how we should live if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. Look at verse 32. If the dead aren't raised, let's eat and drink because tomorrow we die. Paul is a realist. I appreciate that. You know what he's saying? Hey, if there's no heaven, if there's no resurrection, let's live like the world because what the world values makes sense if this is all there is. Think about it. What does the world value? Really right now, let's seek pleasure because this is it. We only live once. Let's live it up as much as we can. Let's seek whatever feels good. That's what I want to do right now. And, you know, I need to keep that going as long as I can. So I also need to seek health to prolong my pleasure. So really it's pleasure above all, but also health to prolong the pleasures. Look around. There are millions of Instagram pages dedicated to this. 
pleasure as much as you can and health as much as you can. So you can make the good times roll because once it's over, it's over. And Paul says, yeah, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, that makes sense. That makes sense. Y'all, what a sad way to live. For real. What a sad way to live if you're like, I'm just living for right now. It's like, for real? You just, you're just getting drunk. You're just sleeping with other people and like, but you know that it's not making you happy. Like you're living for right now and this, this is as good as it gets, man. We were built to live for something bigger than ourselves. You know what I mean? That's why when we do something like that, we feel so empty inside. We're built for something bigger than this life alone. You know what I mean? This isn't all there is. In fact, Paul kind of, he's building and building. Like if Christ didn't raise from the dead, people should make fun of us. But then what Brody talked about last night, Paul gives all these evidences in the first 11 verses and he crashes on verse 20. He says, but Christ has raised from the dead. Y'all believe that? Literally, Jesus actually raised from the dead. And that is a game changer. That changes everything in history. And the evidence he gave, and Brody mentioned this last night, the Old Testament preached it, the stone was rolled away, and Jesus appeared to hundreds. And the disciples are totally changed. The resurrection happened. Okay, that's half of the equation for us. Okay, so Jesus raised from the dead. But to be honest, that's just trivia if it's not going to affect us. If we're not going to live again too, then Jesus raising from the dead is just like a cool fact. But it says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What the heck does that mean? The first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. Does it mean that Jesus is the first to raise from the dead? Was Jesus the first person to raise from the dead? Yes or no? No. Who else can you think of in the Bible that raised from the dead? Lazarus. And that was before Jesus, right? Okay, so what's he saying with the first fruits thing? Can y'all see, I, I can't because the door's kind of down, but can y'all see all that corn out there? Okay, so as you're driving down the road, maybe coming in here, you see how all the corn's like nice, it's beautiful, it's nice and level, and this morning, like the wind's kind of blowing, it, it's really cool, but you ever wonder how they got it so level? <laughs> they just planted it at the same time, you know what I mean? So they plant it with tractors, and so it's like, they plant a whole big field at the same time, so it grows up, grows up at the same time. But in the old days, you know, they didn't have giant tractors. And so what they do is they plant it by hand. And so they plow these things with donkeys, whatever they got, you know, they plow the fields and they plant it, but they plant like this, this section here today, next section tomorrow, next section next week. And then a couple weeks go by and they're all the way down to this side of the field, whatever. So their, their crops don't come up like all this beautiful uniform thing. How's it come up? Yeah, like stair steps, like this part starts growing, then this part starts growing, then this part starts growing, then this part. So you kind of got wonky looking fields, right? But what they had was they had this feast called the Feast of the First Fruits, which is, it's a pretty crazy feast. What they do is, is the Lord said, hey, when the first part starts growing up, I want you to cut it off and offer it to me. Which had to be so scary for these guys because they're like, ooh, can I offer you the last parts? Because I'd really like to make sure we got some food. You know what I mean? Had to be so scary to cut off the very first part and give it to the Lord. But it's basically trusting that the Lord's going to bring the rest. Does that make sense? So when he says Christ is the first fruits, he's the first one in a sense, and we're going to follow after him. We're the harvest. Look at verse 21 through 23. For as by man came death, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam all die. So I, listen, this is, this is the big news for us. In Christ, 
shall all be made alive. That's talking about you. Christ, uh, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Y'all see that? Because Jesus raised, he's the first fruits, we will raise. That's the good news for you. That, and y'all, that changes absolutely everything. When Paul's talking about, is living the Christian life worth it? He says, it depends if Jesus raised from the dead and if you're going to raise from the dead. Because if that answer is yes, and Paul says it's yes, y'all, that changes everything. That changes every. It's like a light bulb going off. Uh, okay, so I've been having the weirdest dreams lately. I don't know if I've been eating something weird. Y'all ever have one of those periods of time where you're like, what's wrong with me? Like, because you're having such weird dreams. I had a dream a couple weeks ago that I shouldn't even tell y'all that one of our coworkers sold me a wheelbarrow full of meth, like methamphetamines. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. And I was just like, I woke up going, what is wrong? What, why am I? And so the, uh, this like two weeks ago, I had, have y'all ever had one of those, like a lucid dream where in the dream, you know, you're dreaming. I've only had two, but I had one a couple weeks ago. And in my dream, all right, Dreams are weird. I'm not going to tell you all the details. In my dream, though, it was a building like this where it has, y'all see these big beams? I know I had it because I was watching a stupid TV show. But it had these big beams, but the ceiling was way higher and the floor. So I was basically like climbing on this beam and it was like thousands of feet down, right? And so I'm on my hands and knees just shaking because I'm like, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. And then all of a sudden in my dream, I went, oh, this is a dream. And have you ever... You ever had a lucid dream where you, where you all of a sudden you realize you're dreaming and it changes everything? Because I was like, ah, this is a dream. I can't die. This is great. So I stood up on that thing and I went just like this. Whew, and I jumped out and just did a sailor dive all the way down and just landed on my head on the concrete. And I was like, let's go. And I just kept in my dream climbing up again and diving off. And I woke up just laughing like, that was the best time. <laughs> and because like as soon as, as soon as I realized, ah, I can't die. This is great. It was like, it was like a light switch went off. Like it changed everything. You you see what I'm saying? Like for Paul, once you realize Christ raised from the dead, so this isn't all there is, that changes everything. That's like a light switch goes off. Everything changes. And for Paul, it totally reordered his life. My question to you is, will it reorder yours? You know what I'm saying? It's like a light switch goes off. It, it rearranges everything in life to where Christ is not just, he's not an accessory. You remember Brody talked about last night, he's of first importance now. He's, he's not just of second or third importance for us personally. He's not just an accessory. I, I told you I got, I got a couple middle schoolers. Y'all know, y'all know what an accessory to an outfit is? A hat, a watch, necklace, whatever. Those are accessories. They're not crucial to the outfit. What's crucial is you cover your stuff, right? That's the crucial part. This is just an accessory. Take it or leave it, whatever, right? My favorite accessory for middle schoolers right now is the crease cap. You know what those are? Crease guards. Stuff you slide in your shoes so you don't get the crease in them, you know what I'm saying? You get these Air Force Ones and you don't, can't put a little crease across it. So, you know, middle school kids around here, if you don't have the crease cap, the crease guard, you walk around like you got to poop, you know, and there's like, don't crease them don't you know like because they don't want to crease their shoes you know what I'm saying so like if we leave the house without the crease caps my daughter's like hey we got to go back I got it the crease cap and I'm like that's not crucial 
That's, that's an accessory. Now, if she said, hey, I left my pants at home, I'd be like, okay, yep, yep. We're going we're gonna to turn around. We're, that is crucial to this outfit. We're going, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, here's the thing. I think a lot of us, we treat Jesus like he's an accessory instead of crucial. You know what I mean? Like he's an add-on to what we already got going on. We already got our thing going on, and it's nice to bring Jesus along for this. What Paul's saying is because of the resurrection, because he rose so you'll rise, y'all, that changes everything. That should change how you speak. It should, should change what you love. It should change what time you get up in the morning. It changes what you do with your Saturday to where you're sitting right here. It, cha- it changes your plans for the future, and it's of first importance, Look at uh, verse three, he says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. For sure, theologically, we know that's of first importance. Bertie talked about that last night, like the mac and cheese balls. It's the binding agent. Without that, the whole thing falls apart. Yes, absolutely. But for you personally, is Christ of first importance? Does that reorder everything? If you get this right, everything else falls in place. So let me just give you one tip for you just to kind of keep your eyes on Jesus, to keep the gospel and Christ's resurrection of first importance that turns that light switch. Here's what I think you need to do. If you will spend time with Jesus in the Bible every day, like you personally, not at church, if you spend time with Jesus every day, it'll keep the resurrection and your future resurrection on the forefront of your mind. And that's gonna help you reorder your life. It's gonna renew your mind to where really, All of your thinking is filtered through the word to where uh, this is of first importance. It's going to be on the forefront of your mind. It's going to help you rearrange your thinking. So where you don't think about my identity comes from being good at sports or comes from being good looking. That doesn't happen. You start to think my identity comes from Christ. He is of first importance. Everything else is accessory. You know what I mean? My, my, My happiness doesn't come from a relationship. It comes from Jesus. My identity doesn't come from my friend group or my talents. My security doesn't come from money or even my family. These things come from Jesus. So it helps us to reorder everything to where we see Jesus as more beautiful and life-giving than a sport. You know what I mean? If you live for Christ, you will look back at your life and say, yeah, that was worth it. Because the resurrection happened and because you'll raise from the dead, it helps you to reorder your life to say to your sport, uh, that's just a sport. That's not life. These are, it's just a job. It's not my identity. It's not who I am. That's why Christians can do everything differently. We do art differently than the world. We do fitness differently than the world because we're not just living for the right now. We're living for the next life because Christ raised from the dead. Christ above all, everything else serves that goal. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.